Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today, episode 51. Welcome to episode 51. We're going to talk about how the world is going to be different after COVID-19 and how you can be in front of that instead of run over by that. So how can you uh, get on the front end of how the world's going to be different and take advantage of that, position yourself to be flourishing in that world rather than waiting for it and being frustrated by it. Yeah, and even ways you can capitalize on it Yeah, instead of just um, adapting. Where change becomes your friend and yeah, it might exactly. even become a tool that you use powerfully to your own benefit and maybe even for eternal benefit. An opportunity. It's an opportunity. There you go. Uh, people don't fear change, they fear loss. And so how can you, in a world of rapid change, Shift your attention from what you're losing to where the opportunities are for you to gain. Totally. I like that idea. So yeah. that's where we're going to go. Before all that, it is joke and or story time, and uh, this week it's your turn. It is. And I've been thinking about uh, a young man. Uh, so when I um, graduated college, I graduated on Thursday, married Sue on Friday, went on a short honeymoon, moved to Dallas the next Wednesday. And um, then um, started interning at my church while I was also doing construction work. And then I ended up becoming the youth pastor at my home church. So um, in those days, so I was a youth pastor from 1984 to 1988. And um, I could tell why that came to an end, but that's yet another story. Uh, but I was, a, I was a youth pastor in days when um, a lot of the things I did as a youth pastor, I'd probably go to jail for today. So uh, we didn't a have as much. A lot of the things? Well, um, I would certainly have gotten fired for them today. Uh, I wouldn't go to jail. That's, a, that's, that's intense. Was, um, the implications are a lot, probably worse than what, you're, what they actually were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would not go to jail, I, but I would have been fired several times in today's world for the shenanigans I did as a youth pastor, uh, which in those days, you know, 1984 to 88, uh, it was a different world. And I was mm -hmm. deeply loved for most of those. Um, but man, the world has changed. So I'm, anyway, I'm just trying, I'm trying to help our listeners minds not wander too far <laughs> to the depravity of your oh, youth. No, you know, I did not strip people naked. I didn't get naked in front of students. It was nothing like that. Nothing Good. Like just that. just clearing the uh, clearing the air. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a reputable, um, thoroughly heterosexual, <laughs> healthy in my marriage. Yeah. It was it was not that. So gotcha. anyway, um, there was a student. I, I I still have a lot of students that I'm still in touch with from those days, and one of them I was thinking about today because I was thinking about a story. It was going to be my time to share a story. And I thought of this student that I, uh, that he kept, he had this habit of saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment and putting himself in very embarrassing situations. Hmm. And so I had a nickname for everybody and my nickname for this guy. So I'm going to use his nickname. That way nobody knows who I'm talking about except him. 
and some of the students who would hang around in those days. But they these are all stories they lived. And so uh, uh, we I nicknamed him Chanella June. Um, so that was his name, Chanella June. And nice. um, yeah. it's not short. No, it's well, not. It doesn't have to short. be short. No, short. Short's not funny. I mean, sometimes it is. All but right. uh, Chanella June, like Kevin and, Hart. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Chanel June did things like this. He, he, uh, got a job at a fast food place. Mm -hmm. They hired a bunch of people at the same time. So he's in a training classroom with about 12 new employees. Sure. And they're walking through the content. Well, the first thing they do is they want everybody to introduce themselves. So he's sitting next to a really cute girl. And of course he's trying to flirt with her and find out her name. And, um, they're in the back row. And so, people start introducing themselves, you know, hi, I'm John and I'm uh, 27 years old and I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm Betty and I'm 21. And, and he leans over to her and he says, anybody working here over 23 is a loser. Oh, no. And of course, when it gets to her name, she says, I'm Jennifer and I'm 24. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was that kind of thing. He would do that all the time. One time, we're in a parking lot, and this beautiful red Corvette, all dark windows, is parked there. And he's like, that's my dream car. And he runs over there, and he puts his hands over the glass so he could see in the car. And he's looking at the interior. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, he looks down, and he sees a pair of feet. And he follows that up, and there's a woman just sitting there with her arms crossed looking at him <laughs> while, she's staring, while he's staring in her car uh, through the tinted windows. Chanella June would always get himself in trouble. So the the last story, we did uh, a, a ski trip every uh, Christmas to New Year. We would leave Christmas night at midnight on a big bus, and we would roll back in New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's morning, about 6 in the morning. And um, we're on that trip, and we're staying. No, no, no. This was actually, we did a, uh, we did a youth camp at Padre Island. So we were in we were in a, a resort at Padre Island. That's where this was. was. The, I went there, didn't I? You did. And yeah. we had we had kind of rekindled that idea years later. But we went to that. And um, so uh, we had these um, kind of hotel rooms where we would put um, three students and a leader in every hotel room. Mm -hmm. And Chanella June is in his in his hotel room, and he needs to go to the bathroom really bad. And one of the guys is in there showering and has the door locked. And he's banging on that door. you got to let me in, man. i got to go now. i got to go so bad. <laughs> and the guy would not let him. He would not open the door. Uh -huh. So Chanella June took a dump in the ice bucket. No way. He did at the hotel, in the hotel ice bucket. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so I had to deal with that. Uh, Man. You know, that was a Chanel June shenanigan. So He sounds like uh, Kramer from Seinfeld. You like know, he's just like always getting into this guy, wacky situations. He would get in wacky situations, and he was absolutely fearless. He was completely overconfident, uh, <laughs> good-looking young guy, and he was totally fearless. He would do anything. That's funny. That reminds yeah. me, I, basically, when uh, – in the the dorm that I was in, it was it was mostly mostly good fun, but in the apartment where it was me and my five good friends, <laughs> uh, it it got like Lord of the Flies in there. It got to where like um, you didn't want to be the Chanel June, like like whoever goofed up was the Chanel June, and everyone you know in self preservation would pile on, right. and you didn't want to be that guy. 
<laughs> and I just yeah, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of examples, but but dark days, man. Oh yeah, the dark days. You know, there was one uh, summer that I stayed. Actually, a summer and a school year that I stayed in married student apartments in college because they oh had, yeah, they had an empty one. So that I talked them into letting me and three and uh, three buddies live there. And in the summer, there was four of us in there. In the school year, there was just two of us, my buddy Tim and me. Mm-hmm. But in the summer, we had four of us, and uh, it was a little it was a little crowded. But we we went to the Humane Society and got this dog, and oh, no. uh, it, it was going to be the the the, uh, the 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 apartment dog. Yeah, and man, that thing just peed and pooped <laughs> everywhere. We could not get that thing to quit doing that. And so uh, we took it back to the Humane Society within three days. We just we had we had outpunted we had outpunted our coverage. We couldn't. Yeah, I, can't, I mean it's probably for the best. I imagine that thing leaves there with a taste for human flesh, and <laughs> it's got rabies. Right, right, man. I I left college, but a bunch of stupid, stupid guys. I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Not that if you're listening and you're in college, you're not automatically stupid. I'm just. You know, um, you kind of are. Okay, in, in a way. Yeah, you'll you will be less stupid later than you are now i can say that yeah. with confidence so speaking of crazy guys in college so i i go to college in springfield missouri at to uh evangel university so um i'm so excited to go my freshman year i go two days early and uh drive up there move into the dorm room my roommate's not there yet the only people there in fact are the football players who were there for two days Okay, and so I happen to be moving onto a floor. Does Evangel have is, a good football team? I didn't even I didn't even know they had one. Yeah, they do. They they they. Uh, it has ranged back and forth, but they won. Sure. Uh, they they've done quite well, actually. Nice. Anyway, anyway, um, there's like uh, ten or twelve football players on this floor, and then me, and I don't know anybody. I just moved in. So we move all my stuff in, my parents, you know, we have a meal, then they hit the road to go back. So I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed like, what am I going to do now? I don't know Mm -hmm. anybody. You know, what am I doing? And there's a knock at my door. And I open the door, and here is this uh, defensive lineman. He's about 6'4", and uh, chiseled. This guy's he's fit. Mm -hmm. And he is stark naked with cellophane (laughs) wrapped around his waist. And he goes, hey, dude. You like my new underwear? <laughs> and he takes off running. And I shut that door and I'm like, where am I? What ha- what have I done? I thought that would have been you being like, my people. No, no. I, I you know, nudity was never a thing I was in favor of. Gotcha. Uh, that, that might be, that might be surprising to you. But um, anyway, later on, I'm sitting there and I hear, I hear, boom, ha, 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 ha. And I crack my door open, and they have uh, groups of football players at either end of the hall, both with a mattress that they're hiding behind. And they have taken Coke cans and put them in a uh, made a cannon out of a group of Coke cans where they cut the bo- top, bottoms and tops. Mm-hmm. And at the very bottom is the top of a can where just the drink hole. Sure. And so they slot a tennis ball into there, into this cannon, and then they put lighter fluid. They they open a lighter halfway and let the lighter fluid go into the can, and then yeah. they light it, and it just boom and shoots this tennis ball a hundred miles an hour out of the end of that can. <laughs> and the other guys, it hits their mattress. They're hiding behind the mattress. They laugh. Yeah. Then they pick up the tennis ball and they cannon it back. And I, I, all this is going on in my very first day, 
Then the next morning, I'd be like barricading the doors or something. Well, I didn't know what to do. The the, the next the next morning, uh, one of the guys gets a bunch of black cat fireworks and he uh, cuts them all up and dumps the gunpowder right into a bowl. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, does a line of gunpowder from one guy's bed door, <laughs> dorm door, down the hall for like uh, 50, 60 feet. And then he thinks he can light this end and it'll be like a fuse. Right, like Looney Tunes or something. It's like Wiley e. Coyote, man, yeah. is, what I'm, is what I'm living in. Well, when he lights that fuse, the whole thing explodes at one time and leaves this burn right down the middle of the hall carpet. It just, Holy uh, smokes. Yeah. Did he, back the, in the day, did, they, did he have to pay, cover that kind of stuff? I think they pretended not to know who did that. We don't know. We just came home one day, and it was there. You yeah. know, they covered for each other. My favorite prank, though, in college, this was epic. Um, I don't know if you, you, you're familiar with albums. You've got a few albums. You've got oh, yeah. a turntable. Oh, yeah. Well, we had lots of albums. What you would do is you would take an album cover and fill it with flour. Just take the record out and put flour down in there. Then you slide the open end of the album cover under someone's dorm door, and then you jump on it. It shoots flour in there. And room. it shoots a fine layer of flour over Ooh. everything in their room. It's pretty epic. That's brutal. One one more. <laughs> I know we're going a little long. One of my buddies who will, he, he listens. He knows who he is. Um, <laughs> we were in, Northwest is in Kirkland, and they have these um, uh, flags at crosswalks downtown. So you pick up a flag. It has a little um, walking silhouette on it. You know, it's like a, a bright oh, really? yellow flag. And you and, use that to walk across? Yeah, and you walk across that, and then you put it on the other side. There's little baskets on either side. Hilarious. And uh, and so someone, probably this guy, had taken one of the flags from downtown and just brought it into the dorm just just <laughs> to have there. <laughs> and so we have this flag sitting around, and, and it's there for probably weeks, maybe a month. And um, at some point, we all get a message of a picture, uh, and it just says, oops. And the flag is halfway through a window. Oh, and no. And he had thrown it. I wasn't there when it happened. I don't remember why he threw it, but he threw it, and it just cleared through this window <laughs> and stuck where the flag part is. It was just sitting there. <laughs> he definitely had to pay for that. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it was very fun. I, I loved I loved To college. decorate our dorm room, we went out and in the middle of the night to these places where they have like uh, sawhorses that block a road and on top of the sawhorses are these yellow lights that flash that are mounted on there. Have you, seen, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. They're like construction zone lights. I don't think yeah, they yeah, use yeah. them much anymore. But they I think flash. now they have reflectors on them. They don't have, they don't flash, but they have like light yeah, reflectors. Now they have in those days they had uh, big power packs mounted onto that with these big yellow circular lights uh-huh. that that would flash. And that way, in the nighttime, you would see them and, and stop. We would steal those lights, and I had like six of them in my dorm room. <laughs> and so, you know, you could just flash yellow all night long in your dorm room if you wanted to. Wow. What a treat. I guess. <laughs> all right, let's get busy. So uh, the world is changing, John. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't know if you slept through that or if you're, if you're aware of that. The world's changing. I'm curious, um, in the... In this COVID world, just to get our conversation started, what are you enjoying about the way things are different now? Is there any part of it you're liking? Yeah, there's a there's a decent amount. Um, pollution is down everywhere. I don't. There's pictures of the uh, L.A. skyline without smog for the first time in like 
oh. decades. It's re- it's really interesting. I've only been to LA once or twice, but uh, it looks like a different place. It's really crazy. You can see all the the mountains behind the skyline. It's really beautiful. They wow, and they have like before and after pictures or uh-huh. something. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Um, and in a general sense, water pollution is down as well and stuff like that. Uh, car accidents are down. Mm. Um, but uh, I I hate traffic so much. But when I was a uh, um, a barista, one of our regulars was these uh, duo of guys who worked at this statistical um, traffic statistics place. They they advised oh, really? the, the state on their construction plans and and what will or will not work to relieve traffic. Uh, they were in title was engineers of some kind. Really, really good dudes. Awesome. So like my favorite um, regulars. And uh, and he he always said that when traffic is there, the economy is doing good. He said, uh, he said, so don't, he said, he said, don't look at it as a bad thing. It's a good thing. People got places to go. They got things to buy money, spend money to get. And, uh, and it's true. So, so that has a downside to it, but, um, yeah, so, so that's some of the good things people are, are in general, um, uh, as far as car accidents go safer and people, you know, we, because when, when the world is normal, we're always like, oh, the world's too fast. Mm. No one's stopping to smell the roses. No one's thinking, no one's reading a book. And now they have all kinds of time for that. I don't know if they are doing those things, but they definitely have the time to. They definitely are forced to have the time to. So that's some good things off the top of my head. Do you have any? Yeah, you know, um, I'm meeting my neighbors now. People are outside more. Oh, sure. And, and Which when is you have, kind of ironic. But. Yeah, and when you have uh, conversations with them, some of them, most of them practice social distancing while they're outside. Some you can tell the ones who don't seem to take any of this seriously, sure. And so they're they're not, but most of them are, and but but they like to be you know six eight ten feet apart and still talk. So um, neighbors who were not that talkative or not that eager to meet each other in the past all of a sudden are. Uh, this morning I went down to meet a neighbor because I'm working on a deck project at my house and I'd been told that his deck was really epic and had a couple of features I should look at. So uh, the guy who told me that texted him and he said, yeah, come on down. So we went down. I got to meet his mm-hmm. dog and uh, uh, got to uh, see this deck project. And the guy, if I was willing, I'd still be sitting there talking to him. He just really <laughs> was looking forward to a conversation. Yeah. So that's kind of an upside. I'm, I'm meeting neighbors I had not met and having more meaningful conversations with the neighbors that I do sure. spend time with. So that's been kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. What about your uh, remote working? You, how much of that do you love, and how much of that do you are you ready to get back to being on site? Um, I enjoy it a lot more because uh, uh, Lindsay is working from home too. So we're, um, I don't know, we're both there. We have lunch together. We go on walks together. That part's really nice, uh, and it is easier for me to be productive because we're both uh, working. So like when I work at home alone, you know. What's to stop me from from distracting myself with something? And it's uh, you have a little more accountability when both of you are working home from home. Yeah. Uh. So so all of that's been pretty nice. Um. I miss going places, and I still I'm going into work about once a week to uh, for proofreading, and this next week will be even a little uh, more because our monthly papers are coming around. Um. So I don't know. Work wise, I feel like it's been a a decent balance. The only challenge is that i can't get, really get a hold of people as easy mm. i do a lot of reporting for the school district and no one is you know in their office so so i can't call anybody i have to rely on email which 
Um, if you ever try to get hold of someone who doesn't necessarily need to talk to you, right. uh, email is not really the way to do it. It's not really no. effective. So that's been challenging, and um, our papers have had a lot less photos, which is uh, just oh. a, because there's there's no one like to take pictures of. So it's, it's exactly. not that your photographers don't want to work. There's just no one. To, there's nothing to go take a picture of. Well, and I mean, you're looking at them. We don't have photographers. All the reporters take their own photos. Oh, right. So, uh, but yeah, exactly. There's nothing. There's nothing to take photos of. So for a school story, I, just to have something, I went and took a picture of an empty playground. It was just just nothing. But but it's there. So so stuff like that. Um, unique occupational challenges. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, and I think if you, a lot of my work even in the office is kind of solitary, but if you have a lot of coworkers that you're you're a fan of, you you know, you have a little community, that's probably challenging to be away from as well. Yeah. Okay. So as a teaser, there's an article we're going to look at. Um, it's an article in a, uh, I've never heard of this before. It's called Marker. That's the uh, digital medium um, that published this article. And the article, uh, and if you want to find that, that's marker.medium.com is where they, uh, where they have their content. And, uh, this is an article called seven predictions for a post coronavirus world written by a gal named Emma Rose Bienvenue. Now what's interesting about this Emma Rose Bienvenue is that she's got more, she's, she, she looks young. There's a picture over there. She looks very young, but she's got some some chops man she's got a her tag yeah her tagline is jack of all trades master of some but here's her credentials a ba i understand that bachelor of arts a bcl i have no idea what that is bachelors of something learning maybe i don't know then a jd which is uh that's actually a lawyer a master's in economics and then an llm i don't know what that is but this chick's well educated. I have no idea what that is. That's a good question. And so it's fascinating. She's got seven predictions for a coronavirus post coronavirus world, and uh, she's saying that like the Great Depression or the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the 2008 global financial crisis, uh, this is going to accelerate social and economic changes that would otherwise have taken years to materialize. So that is sure. a conviction that some of us share. Uh, I think in my world of church work that that church as we understand it is about to rapidly and dramatically change changes that probably were coming over time anyway, but now they're going to happen mega fast and they're going to happen more broadly. Like uh, there won't be uh, uh, innovators, early adapters, mid adapters and late adapters. There will be uh, get in now or get left way behind in a yeah. rapid span of time. So huh. that's going to be interesting as I think about the work that I do. And then when I, but I, but I thought it, this is a fascinating conversation uh, yeah. about whether the world is going to change or not. What's your opinion and, on that, John? Well, predictions are super tough. I saw a quote, um, it was probably a tweet or something. And it was basically a person saying um, that when this was first happening, I said, this is going to make nine eleven look like nothing. And I right. was right. And I'm like, well, slow your horses, dude. Like, 9/11 is like uh, that separates like modern world from postmodern world. That's like that's like a generation altering thing. Yeah, um, it kind of it, is. And you can still go to Ground Zero and have a moving experience. Yeah, in see one a, specific spot. Exactly, and and just that it's so much more traumatic and violent. Yeah, um, that I think it doesn't really equate like that. I think I think economic disasters and are more um, easier to to compare to. But I have a hard time because I think, you know, 
I, I think those things are true. But when I look around and I think when all this goes back to normal, like at the end of this year, right, when it's New Year's and you look back at the year, how much of this is going to be, will this be like the only thing we talk about? Because if you asked us like a month ago or two months ago, it would have been the whole thing with Iran or the uh, the fires in Australia. Those were like the big year things. And now this just dwarfs those, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the news cycle goes so fast. And right. I just want to say, you know, it's it, we're about 22 minutes into this episode before we really got to the teeth of this. So I hope people have stuck with us and been patient uh, because this is really getting fascinating now. What's interesting to me about even the wildfires or um, these monumental events, they have not been globally disruptive. Sure. Uh, in, in, in that I mean, they have not changed the way we do life. Mm-hmm. That becomes a different thing. And so yeah. um, uh, some people that I respect think that this will be the most disruptive change agent event since a world war. And so uh, that's a different thing. So to me, because even those big deals, even 9-11, I was shocked how fast people moved on yeah, and went back to their normal life. And so a real game changer, I forget what you guys call it in, in um, what authors call it. A disruption, I think, is what, yeah, something like that. So when a character was. when a character gets boring, you need to put that character. Through. Oh, narratively. Yeah. You need to put uh, that character through a thing. A crucible? Just, yes. So that life after that event bears no resemblance to life before it. Gotcha. And that's a that's a technique you would employ to keep the story interesting or to make that character's whole world change. And so uh, we haven't had an event like that that changed the way everybody sees the world in quite some time. Sure. Uh, that 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 changed everything so fast. You know, even the internet took a while to unfold and to get uh, broadly used. Yeah, uh, cell phones. You know, you went from the giant brick phone that only the really wealthy hotshots had in their in their <laughs> phone in their cars yeah. uh, to to everybody has one, and so uh, it's really changing. Now, this is some opinion. That's why I'm curious what your right. opinion is. Because well, uh, there's a woman you and I both love, your mom, mm-hmm. who still thinks that when that if this uh, if this resolves quicker than you know sooner than later, that we are going to snap right back in. People forget quickly, just like they did with nine eleven, and we're going to go right back to the way things were. And I I have a suspicion that that'll happen on the observable level. You're walking around and you're like, well, the world doesn't look any different. Um, and I would hope that in um, in terms of preparation and legislation, things would change because they say, oh, we weren't ready for this at all. Um, yeah. So in terms of global preparation or governmental right. governmental thinking. But I think about because I, th- I thought, well, what if people now say, oh, I can do my job in my pajamas and they they continue to do that. Um, but I think in my field and I'm willing to bet a lot of others uh you can do the job, but it's it's not the same job. Like it's like mm-hmm. the quality of my work, the quality of the writing in general is, is not any different. But the quality of the product that you get with a newspaper that I contributed to right now is is different. The lack of photos, the, the things like that, um, and like like our um, our page layout guy, he's working yeah. from home doing um, VPN stuff. You know, controlling the computer from his home, and uh, and it works, but it it kind of slows things down we're you know we're we're getting out a little 
less quickly. He's not in the same room. You can hear him. Right? He's on. He's on speaker. He can see you, and he's, you can see his computer moving. But it slows things down. So, so it's, yes, the jobs can be done that way, but it's not necessarily the most productive. So, I do, I do wonder if, um, you know, if if how if that'll stick. If exactly. That's stick. Yeah. Exactly. How many things will look different? Do you? Do you have anything as a as a boss that you say, hey, this kind of I would like to keep doing this? Well, I think that, uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way sure. about your about your job. Um, you you work in an environment that has been technologically resistant, and so it's not surprising that using technology more is not increasing the efficiency where you are, because the equipment's not modern. Sure, and the the thinking was not modern. So, well, and the the culture isn't isn't um, isn't doesn't jump onto that. It doesn't latch yes. onto that. So it could be that that's. I think that is an anomaly. That's anecdotal, not typical. Well, I, th- I think what I'm really going for is that it's it's easier to communicate face to face. Like we're right now, we're we're talking remotely, and I guess because of FaceTime, it's not that much more challenging. But say I needed to show you how to solve a problem, like we actually when we set up these mics and stuff like that, right. it would be much easier in the room. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's but, but true. Def- you're definitely right that we are um, we're a print only newspaper. That alone sets us back, you know, in the as far as mindset goes. Yeah, yeah away from the digital world. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, what I'm learning about our teams is I need less office space than I thought I needed. Hmm. And there are there's some really good work that can happen with us seeing each other uh, remotely more often and physically less often. But I think about this, just even this simple idea. What do you think the over under is on when they're going to let a thousand people get in the same space again? When will we be able to have 50,000 people in a stadium cheering on a football game? How long is it going to be before people feel safe to do that or that the even government even allows it? What's crazy, evidence towards that this might have a lasting change is we're watching you know TV shows. And I see all these people gathered together, and I'm like, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like my my gut reaction is like, it was like, <laughs> you know, bad. So I do wonder how long that's going to take. When you see, like you said, a, a football stadium, when you see, um, what's it called now? Uh, um, CenturyLink. 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 Yeah. Uh, when you when see, you see that, the clink full of people, yeah, and them high fiving each other, and, yeah, and standing in line in a mob. If you've ever been to a Seahawk game, you can't get in and out of that place without being shoulder to shoulder with ten thousand of your closest friends. There's literally a kiss cam where strangers are encouraged to kiss each other on the mouth. Right, right. That's like <laughs> that's like the, the antithesis of this entire right response. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Are people going to change those habits permanently? You know, you mentioned that yeah. Doctor Faducci Gajucci, whatever his name is, <laughs> Fauci. That yeah. he's hoping, he's hoping, <laughs> he's, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just trying to be funny. Uh, that he's hoping the handshake never comes back. Yeah, he's hoping it stays dead. So, uh, you know, those are those are subtle little changes, but there's going to be so many of those subtle little changes yeah. that that culture itself will pivot all at once when it normally takes several years. And do you think, um, you know, things like a lot of, like, if handshakes live or die, that's a little less, I, I like handshakes, I'll keep shaking hands probably after all this, but that's less important than the big things. Do you think this could be a net gain at the in the recovery? That, the, well, that at the end, the changes were, were um, on the whole positive? I think the changes were on the whole inevitable. 
Mm. Uh, it's just going to accelerate the pace. And so um, let me let, let's dive into this uh, little article here. Yeah, let me sure. give you Let me give you this list and see, John, which ones you think, ooh, uh, that would be nice or ooh, ouch, I don't like that. And is this in regard to the church in general or just life? No, this is a business article. Gotcha. gotcha. And so some of these we won't spend much time on because they're not that pertinent except people have jobs sure. and I and I I'm curious as each of us think about our careers how can I position myself on the right side of this thing so that I actually leverage it instead of get run over by it so the first one she says is that companies that traffic in digital services and e-commerce will make immediate and lasting gains in other words the world is going to be more digital than ever before Mm-hmm. And people who leverage that are going to win big. Well, think of we're talking over Zoom right now. I hadn't heard this company's name before mm-hmm. uh, all this, and now they're you know now it's any, all anybody's ever using. Yeah. So this, I mean they're they're raking in buckets of cash. Yeah, and that's interesting that you never heard of them because I've been hearing of them for five or six years. So uh, you have been less technologically engaged than uh, on the scale of. Uh, technology engagement you're on the low side well, in some ways well culturally it was like the verb people use right so you google it because google is right. the thing you skype each other because skype was the thing now it's you zoom each other and that wasn't the case before yeah that is that to, to me in the business world it was you you go to meeting or you zoom gotcha um, if you weren't going to travel anymore a lot of companies cut back travel costs because they could go to meeting or zoom or sure. if you were already in a um, digital space marketplace, you were using GoToWebinar and Zoom as money-making tools for your training events. Sure. Um, so uh, the thing that that makes me think about is that we have been in a world where if you were not tech-savvy, you could still do okay in your career. Yeah. My concern is for a segment of our population, which probably by definition is an older segment they were already uh aging out from the world as it changes rapidly but if you don't have tech skills you're going to be unmarketable in some mm-hmm. ways what do you think you, do you understand what i'm saying yeah I, I do and and we're already um it's inevitable that we face a lot of um crises with um a big big aging population and um and the tech skills one is is that's a, a new thought to me because I think there will still be, like say say in your office there's you know three um, seniors, um, I think they're still going to be able to do okay, but I wonder about a crisis like this in twenty more years when we have just this massive retired population. What does that look like? You know. Well, and I think kind of the thing I'm uh, trying to um, describe is that if your job pre-COVID required 10% technical savvy, it's now going to require 80% technical savvy. That a 70% jump. I really do believe that. And so uh, in the world that I traffic in, some of our tech-resistant people, and I call them tech-resistant not because they hate technology, but because it's a learning curve for them. Sure. You know, um, there are generations. I watch my granddaughter, Eleanor, Uh, interact with an ipad and it is shocking how she already understands how to get in of something out of something she knows how to buy things (laughs) on 
she's five years old. She knows how yeah. to buy things online. And uh, it is stunning to watch how fast and fluent she is on an iPad. Yeah. They call those digitals. They were born in a digital world. And I was not. And if you were not born in a digital world, your natural intuition toward these devices is not there. Right. And so the learning curve is way steeper and exhausting, frankly. And so when you, you've had people who've just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride this out because I can finish my career without ever having to learn that. That day is gone. You're going to have to learn it now, or you're going to look at early retirement because yeah. the need for it it will not it will no longer be an optional skill set. I I I definitely um, I'm with you there. I get it. So my advice to people who are not technical savvy is to use this slow down time to learn everything you can possibly learn. Every app, every uh, every uh, high use tool so that you can enter back into the real world uh wowing people with your ability to transition your job into that kind of environment because if you if you resist this you will end up unemployed especially if the economy tanks as bad as it could Hmm. very smart so that's my first one here's the second thing she says remote work will become the default that you will have to create a reason why somebody needs to come to work instead of creating a reason why they should work remote. Uh, And this was one early on where I was like, what if that happens? And uh, I still have an inclination that that might be too dramatic of a shift. I don't know that the culture would be that quick to be like, okay, now we all work from home by default. I don't know. Yeah. I would say if they open up the marketplace and people can go back to work say in may sure even by the end of may then i think you're right but if you can't go to work or if you go back to work in may and then we get another surge and people have to home safe again or if we go back to work in september and uh or for the summer and then in september when the fall and cold weather starts coming november october november there's another surge of this and people have to home safe again my point is the longer it takes where people are working remotely, the more drastic these changes will be. Yes, because it'll become normal and people will get skilled at it and they will fall in love with it. And companies will start realizing I can trim my overhead dramatically by reducing the square footage I need for office space, the rent I have to pay or the buildings I have to own or the buildings I have to maintain because I can let these people work from home, pay them the same wage yeah they're happy i'm happy and i've got way less overhead yeah it's now we're we are in a um the reality now is that you have no option so i think the the x factor is when you have the freedom because if right now if i could live my life now but when i'm when i clock off i could go sit in a coffee shop or i could go to a restaurant or Mm -hmm. i could go to all these parks and and stuff like that then that's really is then it's even more attractive yeah that's that's like my perfect day yeah if i can work at the beach or if i can work at a coffee shop or exactly if I can... next to like some fire in the you know yeah like... now that becomes irresistible right but here's the other factor that makes this more likely to occur what's going to happen to travel restrictions um, are they going to restrict travel in some way into a longer future or for example in the philippines right now you cannot fly into the philippines you can only fly out of it Hmm. Um, they are making some ridiculous decisions there. 
um, that are economically disastrous. Poverty is a is an exploded problem all of the sudden, uh, yeah, particularly in places like Manila. Well, but let's say let's say they start they restrict travel or companies stop having you travel. Like if you're a traveling guy, and now your company's realizing, hey, you can't travel and business is doing okay. Now I get to save all the costs I was spending on traveling you. Right. And I know um, really, really progressive plans like the the big Green New Deal, um, some extreme versions of that include um, the ban of air travel in its entirety mm-hmm. um, or almost in its entirety because of the um, the uh, pollution of, of, of uh, jet fuel. So I could see it an extreme view of things where they say, well, maybe flight, this is a good, a good time for, for flying to just end. And the view of the world at that point is a lot like it used to look where neighborhoods are much more, um, focused on each other. The world's a lot less globalized. Um, and that's kind of, to me, that's like some jets and stuff. That's like so far from how we live our lives now. It's hard to even think of, but, right. uh, but I can see that gonna, looking, looking more plausible. Yeah. She's going to get to that in just a second. So, so uh, from her point number two, I would say this, um, my encouragement to all of us is don't tolerate Zoom and don't learn just enough about those kinds of tools to get by, but become a Nazi, become a, that's not the right word, <laughs> become a ninja. That's the word, uh, become a technology ninja for, uh, for remote communication with the efficiency of a Nazi. There you go. There you no. go. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want anything to do with Nazi. I can't. No. So, with, the, uh, with the efficiency of a German, a German engineer. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, number three, many jobs will be automated and the rest will be made remote capable. Uh, we kind of covered that already. Number four, this is interesting. Telemedicine will become the new normal. Oh, yeah. Signaling an explosion in med tech innovation. So you're going to start visiting your doctor remotely. I had a visit with my cardiologist, and we did it on Zoom, and it was amazing. I got yeah, to see sounds... his face. He's looking at my I had I had a whatever you know heart sonogram thing, and he's looking at that. We're talking about it. I didn't have to leave home. He didn't have to risk getting cooties from me. And that's like it could solve a ton of problems, even when there's not a pandemic. Yeah, with and... overcrowding and. Yeah, and before the pandemic, I don't know if you remember, we had this big family vacation in California, and I was having an issue, and I used my uh, health insurance phone app and discussed it with some doctor I'd never met before, and I got a prescription sent for me in L.A., and I never had to go see anybody or stand in any line or anything, and it didn't cost me any money for a doctor visit. I don't remember that at all. What was your problem? I was having a gout blare up in my toe. Oh, we, actually, were, yes, we were yes. we were going to go to Disneyland, and I couldn't imagine walking all that. And uh, after a 10-minute chat on my phone, digital chat, texting chat, with a doctor, I had a prescription sent, and within 30 minutes I had a thing, and by the next morning I was good to go. That's crazy. And that was pre-COVID, so now this is going to accelerate that even more. Yeah, that, I'll take that. That sounds like a win. Yeah. Number five, the nationwide student debt crisis will finally abate as higher education moves predominantly online and that's going to save a lot of money for students it'll be a a more affordable thing yeah i've seen a lot of jokes um uh about a a future where everyone went to online school uh, and that the basically the the quality of education they received is less and i don't i don't have any 
I'm talking about public, public perception because I don't necessarily think that's the case. Well, I uh, do think it's the case. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, but I, here's what I think. This is my opinion about that because I've because I got my master's degree in a uh, distance learning environment. We did uh, residences for a week at a time, but uh, people who want to cut the corners and just get the degree can learn a lot less than people who really want the education. Yeah. Yeah. So you can cut a lot more corners if you want to. And we all know people love to cut corners. So, Oh yeah. I think, I think that uh, two people going through the same exact program will in fact have two different completely educations because of the way they approached it. Yeah. All right. Number six, goods and people will move less often and less freely across national and regional borders. This is the idea that countries will retreat into themselves and that they will become more nationalized and that um, international travel will slow down and that um, even from uh, occupational deals that things will be more regionalized. This is what you were talking about a minute ago. Yeah. And I guess the positive part of that is people will become more emotionally attached and affectionate for their region. Yeah. And and maybe invest and connect more in their local spot. And I uh um another one of my my fun recent ahas. I'll do a bigger thing on this later, either a blog or maybe we'll talk about it later, but um on the the power you actually have in your sphere, in your region, in your neighborhood as opposed to globally. So we know of all these global crises and there's there's pressure to interact and and send money somewhere and and get involved when really you're not you're not effective on a global level really right it, you know with the australian fires what are you going to do you could send 20 bucks and who knows how it'll get there but uh in your region in your backyard um you're very effective you know you can uh, one letter to your senator actually means something to your uh, congressman to your uh, your governor those actually mean things so um anyway that's part of a bigger idea but i but i'm i actually kind of like that idea yeah that that the the, the closing in a little bit yeah, I do too. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna uh, increase the relational power. Sociologically, it'll be a fascinating thing to watch. Sure. Uh, here's a thought that's not from that article. Now, this is from a blog by Kerry Newhoff. He's a church thinking guy, mm-hmm. um, and I really like him. But but he's talking about how um, that digital scales in a way that analog doesn't. Now, think. listen to this. And this is, again, no matter what your job is, almost no matter what your job is, if you're if you're in waste sanitation, that still has to be physically done. Sure. And in trades, if you're a plumber. You know, yes. You're a right. For trades. Yep. But for but for so many people, the world is going to change. And and think of this. Uh, Instagram, when it had 40 million users. It was purchased by Facebook for a billion dollars, okay? Mm-hmm. That was 2012. Sure. Do you know how many employees Instagram had when they sold for a billion dollars to Facebook and they were reaching 40 million customers? Do you know how many employees were in the entire company? No. 13. No way. 13. Serving 40 million customers. 40 million customers, a billion dollar business, 13 employees. Holy smokes. Hopefully they're all part owners. Got in on that action. Yeah. Uversion. Here's the second example he uses. Uversion is a Bible app that you and I love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, It launched as an idea a decade ago. It reaches 400 million users. 400 million. 
and is operated by a small Instagram. right it's well it's instagram's bigger than that now uh it's <laughs> operated by a small staff at a local church really yes. i didn't know that yeah life church in oklahoma is the ones who invented that bobby greenwald was the inventor of that he's got a small team of digerotis he calls them digerotis yes and they operate that incredibly huge impact million 400 million users with a handful of staff so this is both good news and bad news. Right now, the good news, if you're technologically inclined, the world is ready for you. You have job opportunities out the wazoo because everybody's going to change. So if you have those skills already, you can pick your job. If you don't have those skills, you better acquire them as fast as you possibly can. And mm. not only will digital skills be essential, it takes fewer people to run a digital business than it for takes sure. to run a physical one. So that's that's a massive landscape change in the work world. So do you you're saying that the pool actually will shrink? Like there will I, be I less think, jobs on the whole available. I believe that's the case. That's and, the scary side of that. Now the good yeah. news about that is we have the boomers about to all retire and um you know the millennials by population are a smaller population, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh that may actually match the physical realities of population at the same time. So that might, that might scale correctly, but it's a, it's a concerning thing. Uh, let's real quick do our uh, commercial break and then we'll come back and do our takeaways. How's that sound? Sounds great. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, okay, so big takeaways, and this is a huge conversation. We, you know, we mostly talked on the professional end of things, uh, and uh, we could go on for uh, probably another two hours on on every other aspect of it. But, but do you have a big takeaway for uh, for this uh, conversation? Well, my I find my uh, I found my affections moving toward two groups of people. One is people who are approaching the ends of their careers, mm -hmm. and one for people who are entering their careers, or you know, you, you know, in that. Yeah. In that mid-20s, I've got tons of work years ahead of me. So I, my mind goes to that group, and my mind goes to the, um, I'm not ready to retire yet, but the world's about to change so fast that it's going to freak me out. Gotcha. So, like not enough time to adapt, not enough time to retire, or not or too early to retire. Right. There you go. That's that's probably, you know, and, and I don't know, uh, I think our listeners – uh, lean younger than that so that doesn't hit most the majority of our listeners probably but uh, i want to almost get on my knees with my friends who are in their 50s 
and be, and and who are not good at technology and who have limped along almost with a passive aggressive resistance to learning more. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell them you have got to get on the digital bandwagon or you're going to get left behind and it's going to get ugly. Yeah. I do have a sense. I have a almost sense of panic about that uh, for that group of people. And I mean, do you think, because it's hard for me to imagine that the skill sets of these uh, men and women who have been, who are at basically the, the height of their career, right? At your age, at around the the fifties, you're right. You have more influence than you ever have most, most likely. Um, those skills are, are, are still valuable, right? I mean, uh, you know, the example I would use is back when, you know, computers became common when, when personal computers, okay, that this is long before you were a twinkle in my eye, sure. <laughs> uh, there were, uh, there was a time when computers went from punch card, giant ma- mainframes oh, that yeah. filled a whole room to personal computers that you could have. Everybody had one in their house. Yeah. Well, right then, this same thing happened, and there were people who were in their 50s who had been engineers or finance people, and they were not computer savvy. And they were able to limp along because they were smart. And you needed their genius, and so you tolerated their lack of technical savvy. Gotcha. And I watched them struggle into retirement and get so mad because these young people who had sharp computer skills right. were, were suddenly getting hired mega fast and making way more money than they did when they Ooh. were their age. Yeah. And they were furious. It was, it was offensive to them. And, um, and it was just that uh, the, the, the tools for the job outran them. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I've already watched this happen once in my lifetime, and it happened over a phase-in span of time because personal computers didn't become one in every house overnight. But mm-hmm. this change is overnight. This is, this is in one calendar year, maybe 18 months. You're going to see the way the world works is going to change in an 18-month window. That's never happened before in history. Well, and certainly in our lifetime kind of history. Yeah. And um, uh, and my takeaway, I use the word, you ask, you're asking for a word, and I use the one disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, that's used a lot technologically. So that, that personalized computer thing, that's a disruption. That changes um, the whole game. Cars are a disruption. Uh, um, High-capacity lithium-ion batteries mm-hmm. are a disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, or the iPhone. That's a, a, be- a better example. Sure, sure. Um, and so this is different because it's not a innovation disruption. It's a it's just a way of life disruption. Yes. Um, but like you said, there are people. Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers is like all about this, where they are launched into, uh, into their um, their young adult life with alongside a technological disruption. This is this is Bill Gates and, and Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, mm-hmm. and they just take over the world because it's the right person at the right place at the right time. Yeah, and so uh, I think this will be the case here, and there are people who are on the opposite end of that. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's a hopeless situation, like you're saying. And I um, don't feel hopeless. I feel good. urgent. Good. Yeah. yeah I, there I, you go. Uh, the only person hopeless is the one who says, "I'm not changing." Sure. If that, if if you're a change resistant person, you're going to get left behind. So I have, I, I have only anxiety for that kind of person. Who's saying? I just already. I'm. I'm hearing people in my age category, really are older than that, 60, mm-hmm. 63. They're wondering, am I going to have a job at the end of all this? Really? 
Yes, because um, as things shift digital, it's a different skill set needed for the job, and you need fewer of them. And so uh, if this doesn't concern you, if you're if you're in your 50s and this doesn't concern you, then you've got your head in the sand, and it should concern you. It should motivate you. It should inspire you to get on the front of that. Gotcha. Here's a little sound. You know, this popped in my head as we were as you were talking. That was a great insight that some people are perfectly positioned to surf this wave right into an amazing future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is awesome. When Sue grew up in the Philippines, um, you know, she goes to the Philippines as a seven-year-old. And um, the way missionaries got to the Philippines in those days, they got on a freight ship. They were the only, they were, there were two other passengers beside her family on this freighter. Holy smokes. And they were 21 days at sea from Seattle to Manila. Didn't stop anywhere. 21 days at sea on a giant freight ship. They they go into port in Manila, and it is uh, dock workers, and uh, over to one spot is this guy who is strapped to a pole and being whipped by his boss what? for his rebellion. And so Sue, the seven-year-old, gets, off of, gets on the ship in Seattle, right. spends 21 days at sea, gets off the ship, and this is the first thing she sees. That's insane. And then the, the, the knuckleheads who hosted them. Yeah wanted to drive them through all the slums before they drove them to their home. Why? I don't know why. It was a stupid decision. So her first uh, images of the Philippines are the worst, most dramatic things you could see. Yeah, this is the Philippines according to like an action movie. Yes. You get there and it's just like like the Wild now, West. She's blonde-headed. They don't see many blondes. People would walk up and just touch her hair because they hadn't seen blonde hair. They wanted to see what it felt like. Um, so she goes into this world where she is the lily white, blonde headed girl and no one looks like her, yeah. lives like her. Well, not only is that the case, but the world where she came from keeps changing and new music, new movies, new TV mm-hmm. shows. Well, there's no internet. There's no email. Uh, she communicated with her grandparents back here with letters and she would make cassette tapes where she would talk on these tapes and tell stories and then send the tapes to her grandmother. And um, but it's very awesome. it's a very slow communication process. Yeah. Long long distance phone calls. I'm gonna tell on your mom here for a second. If she's talking on the phone right now to someone who's in another country, she's yelling in the phone because <laughs> <laughs> in those days you had to do that. Yeah. And uh, so communication was slow and rare. So what happens is you have this group of people who are called third culture kids. What that means is uh, I'm not a Filipino. I don't, you know, I love that culture, but I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. And then I've been gone so long and the world has changed so much. When I come home, I'm not an American either. Right. I don't, I don't know the movies. I don't know the songs. I don't know the jokes. I don't know the shows. She felt like she had no home. Now, the beautiful thing of today's missionary kids is they can stay current with everything because of the internet. They can they can zoom now and talk to people face to face. We have sure. missionary students in Thailand who are in a small group with their high school friends right here right now through Zoom. So they're not going to lose that cultural edge and so I think that third culture kid thing will go away. But that's what Sue to this day her adult life she still 
has uh, residue effects of being a third culture I bet. kid. Yeah. So uh, if you take a third culture kid and now place them in a world of digerates and she's 50 whatever years old and the, the advantage Sue has is she loves technology and she loves learning new tools. For she's sure. kept right up with it. But if you're resistant to that, you've just got all kinds of landmines in your in your final years of work. And I just don't want to see people uh, fade away from their work lives uh, feeling like failures or disappointment instead of just flourishing right up to the end. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't intend for this to be that intense, but that's uh, as I think. And that's really just one piece of all the things we talked about. I love a lot of the changes that are coming. I think uh, I think life is finally going to be the way uh, future writers back in 1984 used to describe it. <laughs> you know, there was a time when uh-huh. technology began that people wondered the biggest challenge Americans will have is what do I do with all this free time I have? And uh, that has never happened. We're working harder than we ever have. Yeah. But actually in this new world, that could actually happen. Maybe. I mean, with a whole bunch of people working from home, you might see this rise. Like you said, we we see this rise in domestic violence. You might see a rise in alcohol or uh, um, uh, workaholism, maybe alcoholism, too. Yeah, though. you could, too. Yeah. Um, Give me yeah. your takeaway, John. What's your what's your biggest takeaway from this whole conversation? Well, yeah, just that it is a um, that it is a disruption. I think that word is, is fitting here. Yeah. And um, it's a great opportunity. You're you're sitting on that right. opportunity side. And going, man, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of new opportunities. Well, I think so a person like my, um, my actual agency, as far as assets and influences is a lot smaller than someone, um, who's been in a career or, uh, you know, who has the experience of someone in their, in their fifties, uh, the resume of someone in their fifties. So, uh, I think it's an opportunity for that group too, because if you see the, you see the writing on the wall, right? You can like I don't have the means to start a Zoom, a Zoom company. I don't have the I don't have right. the influence the the money. Um, but someone like someone in with with your level of um, you know, assets and experience and wealth might have the means to. So so right. if you look at the if you look at the uh, disruption for what it is, you could end up doing pretty well out of all this. Yeah, I don't know. That's just an idea. I'm not I'm not you, so I don't know what it actually is. But from my end, I feel like I don't have the. Uh, I don't have you're, the means to do a lot of bold You're not stuff. perfectly positioned to take advantage of some of those opportunities. Exactly, because I don't have the, yeah. the funds. Yeah. Um, Did you see the – there was a video on Facebook of this gal who pretended her post-COVID self is gone back in time and talking to her pre-COVID self. Have you seen that? I have not. I've heard of it. I didn't see it's it. It's so funny. But one of the things she says is, uh, you're going to want to invest in this company called Zoom. Uh, Zoom. Yeah. You've never heard of them, but if I were you, get all your money out of the stock market <laughs> or shovel it all over to Zoom. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just kind of funny how uh how the self we we knew before this is going to have a whole truckload of new information that they didn't have, you know, 6 or 8 months ago. That's the, that's why it's not so much that it's disruptive, it's that it's disruptive in a very short window of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this was um, not beating you over the head because just more of a conversation and, a, and an expression of urgency. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess it got framed in a little negativity. But for me, it, that is what inspires me to be innovative and courageous is to recognize um, 
I don't have a choice here. I'm going to, I'm going to innovate and create and win, or I'm going to resist all this and suffer for it. Yeah. So the real, to me, the real yeehaw is let's, let's get on the wagon here (laughs) and look at the opportunities in front of us and go ahead and learn things we don't already know. Sure. Awesome. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, Love it. If you would subscribe, love it. If you would tell a friend Uh, and we would love feedback. Uh, You can tell us uh, ways you think we could make our show better. Uh, Next week, we will celebrate one year together doing this. And so episode 52 is next week. Yeah, Uh, we'll have some special features on that one. But tell a friend, email us info at Jim and John dot com. No H in the John. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week for the the big 52. Thank you.